Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Well, welcome back to the Central Seminary Podcast. We're glad you decided to listen to us today. Uh, Let me just give you a a personal plug for our seminary and for our website. Check that out, www.centralseminary.edu. You can find all kinds of information on there about how to apply, how to visit a class, how to refer a student, all those things that uh, we want you to do, and take advantage of those elements of our website that can help you. Today, our guest with us is Dr. Matt Schrader. He is uh, one of our professors here, as well as some uh, has some other responsibilities. Uh, Matt, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Why don't you share with us uh, what you do here at Central Seminary? Uh, yeah, good question. So I have a couple hats, as you, as you mentioned, which is normal here for our professors to do a few things. And I work in the recruitment and admissions office. So my, my title is Director of Recruitment and Retention. So I meet a lot of the students who come in And I get to know them right off the bat and help them through the whole process of getting into classes and and getting started. And I also teach church history and the uh, the classes we have there, along with research and writing. And and, uh, so I get myself in the classroom that way. Okay, great. Before we address the topic that we have, which is church history... Uh, something you, you might know a little bit about, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like to ask our guests, are there any books that you're reading right now or any books that you're looking forward to uh, their publishing so that you can read? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm one of those guys who probably has way too many books in the process that I am reading <laughs> at, at different points. I, I just reread uh, Richard Sibbs, Bruised Reed, which is an older book, as uh, part of some preparation for some speaking I did, and that was really a good refresher reminder. Um, I've uh, in, I'm in the process of reading a new book by Kelly Capic on kind of our human nature and the limitedness of it, called "You're Only Human," which has been really an encouragement. Okay, as far as what I'm interested, I, I'm uh, looking forward to reading a biography I've got on. John D. Rockefeller Sr., and working through that uh, in the coming weeks. So, Okay, thanks for sharing that. So our topic today is church history, uh, church history in the pulpit, church history in the pew, the importance of church history, kind of going to do an overview and help maybe people who are not history buffs learn to appreciate uh, some church history here. And this is this is a core part of our curriculum at Central. Do you want to say a few words about that? Yeah, um, it, it absolutely is. And and I think it, it it's part of our curriculum, not just in that we have specific church history courses, but I think church history shows itself in all the other disciplines, Old Testament, New Testament, systematic. Um, you'll learn the history of, New Testament interpretation or Old Testament interpretation or 
you know, some historical theology. So it gets worked in in many places. And so, yeah, it, it is a big part of our curriculum. Okay. So the first uh, kind of discussion topic I have is, uh, why, why don't you, first of all, establish for us what church history is, what church history isn't, uh, what makes poor church history, what makes good church history? That's a great question. And s- some of the answer I would give is related to history in general and, and church history being part of that. Oftentimes when we speak about history, people's eyes will glaze over if, if they're just not interested. And mm. they think of uh, the their least favorite classes through junior high and high school or whatever it might be. And so I always like to say good history is not, and good church history is not buckethead history, where it, the, the assumption is you have this giant bucket on your head <laughs> and the teacher is throwing names and dates into your bucket and you're trying to retain it all without tipping too far to one side or the other. You know, the problem is we all have holes in our bucket and it's leaking out everywhere. Mm. Or as one of my professors used to say, we don't have a bottom to our bucket and we aren't remembering anything. That, that's not really how history works well or interestingly. So history done well is going to note some of the complexity of it um, and the difficulties there. C.S. Lewis described it as a, a waterfall. So we have, if we, if we tried to comprehend one moment in time, it's incredibly complex with so much going on. And when you take all the moments of history, it's just overwhelming. Mm. And so when we are talking church history, we're standing at the bottom of that waterfall in my mind with a little Dixie cup trying to catch the water and then tell a story with it. Wow. And um, so we're, we're working hard to do that. And History should be interesting. Um, you're making connections. You're telling a story. You're trying to not just give the information out. You're after, you're after making sense of things and mm. getting not just historical information but historical understanding. So that, that's, you know, church history is not just, hey, memorize these names and dates, although that becomes important. It's let's see what they were doing. Let's see why that matters. Let's uh, dig a little deeper there. Yeah. And I, I think that's an important point that you make. And I would just add that, especially as uh, pastors or those of us who are in ministry, we kind of have a vested interest yep. in history. It's not just something that we can say, oh, yeah, that was there. It happened. Uh, I, I, I just think of, of when I was pastoring, I mean, every week I spoke from a, a history book that we call sure. the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when, when we get into it and we're studying history, yes, there's good practices of history. You know, we want to avoid historical fallacies. You know, we, we've probably all been forced to read D.A. Carson's exegetical fallacies. Mm-hmm. Many people may not know that the book that preceded that was called Historian's Fallacies, and the mm. idea for Carson's book may have come from that. And there's a lot of ways we can do history poorly, but as Christians, when we do church history, especially pastors, we're taking both of those words seriously, the church and the history. Mm. When, when we speak it of church history as of the church, we are speaking of how God is working in this age. It, it's a little different than some other history in that sense. Now, there's, there's a lot of debate there, and, and we don't have to get into all the nuances of that, but 
we should take theological claims of history seriously. You know, when when we study something like the Great Awakening, there's a lot of historians who want to simply call it uh, an invention. It, it wasn't really what all of these men said were was going on. It was, you know, if George Whitfield said, "Hey, this is a great outpouring of the Spirit," they're saying, "No, he made that up to try to control a crowd or whatever." That's mm. church history recognizes God is working, and like the Awakening, I, I think in the end we can describe the historical circumstances and what happened, but it was an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit that brought many to repentance, and that's the heart of it. Mm. And so, church history becomes a theological enterprise. It's not natural history in that sense and but it is also history we can't mythologize it we can't uh smooth out the ugly parts or the parts we don't like um yes it's part of human time the people we study are fallen and and we need some good historical practices to to get into that Mm. yeah thanks for that that's helpful uh in in our discussion back and forth you made the statement that church history is unavoidable can you expand on that for us? Yeah, I think sometimes it, we we see this sort of idea in uh, when we talk theology or philosophy. We we say, you know, you can say I don't have a philosophy of ministry, but that is a philosophy of ministry. All right, I don't have a theology. Well, that kind of is its own theology, and I think it, with history, it's similar. The simple truth is that our past is always with us. It's always present in what we are doing. We can say we don't have one, but we're kidding ourselves in that sense. And um, and maybe the problem comes up with Baptists in a in a related way, where we say, "Well, we hold to soul competency, you know, the priest or the believer," and we usually also believe in the clarity of Scripture, and so. If we can read the Bible for ourselves and make decisions for ourselves, why do we need the past? Mm. And I think there's some dangers there, of course. You know, when we uh, ignore the past, we become captive to the present. In the same way, if we ignore theology or a philosophy of ministry, we are simply being held captive to whatever is there. It's not that we aren't doing it. I like what one uh, historian said he said when we ignore centuries of god loving christians and the rich well of resources that they have passed on to us sometimes ignoring even scripture in the process our perceived needs are little often more than the mirrors of our fallen culture so we Mm. when if we ignore that we become very insulated um and at some point we have to realize we are living out the values and the traditions of our forebears our past Mm. our tradition um and so, you know, to, to try to escape some of that tyranny of the present, you have to first recognize you're, you're in it. And uh, there's a, a bigger history um, as well. Yeah, and I think you were, you were bringing out how that even certain uh, beliefs or core values that we have today, which might be based on Scripture, have also developed over church history. You mentioned the priesthood of the believer Mm -hmm. and without some of the battles in the past or some of the uh, reasons that we have that established without understanding that maybe we wouldn't hold as firmly to some of those things as we do today, that there was a battle that was fought over that, uh, call it a category. 
and there was probably a, a heresy or a unbiblical teaching that someone was responding to, and we're we're indebted to that. Exactly right. We 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 recognize that through history, due to different historical circumstances, different issues get brought to the fore uh, when there's religious persecution that forces someone to act a way contrary to their conscience, it leads to certain issues. And Baptists have said, well, you can't force the rights of someone's conscience to mm-hmm. make a religious decision, a spiritual decision, um, simply at the edge of the knife or um, whatever it might be. It's, it's, a, it's a decision they make from their own heart, and you have that ability, all believers do, all Christians have that right, and really all people, I guess, have that right to make a spiritual decision. You can't force it. And, you know, that's just one example. We could do that with literally every doctrine. And so you're right. There's a historical crucible that forced a lot of our issues to come out. Mm. Yep. Uh, talk to us about some of the benefits of church history. Is is history just for history buffs? Uh, why is church history an important part of the program at Central? We kind of hit on that a little bit, but maybe you could go into a little bit more in depth on some of the benefits. Yeah, this is a this is a big a big topic. And as I was thinking through some of this, there's uh, a lot of ways to try to approach this. So I'll try to hit kind of some big categories and say a few things about each on the benefits of church history. One is simply there are virtues that you learn from doing any type of history, but church history especially. Um, it's it's simply part of a good education. Um, it's part of who you are um, and who we all are. It gives us information about our, our culture, our institutions, our values, experiences. And it gives us wisdom how to live. So there, there's virtues for doing it. And in that sense, history has always been part of a, you know, a general education, if you want to call it liberal arts education, or, or going back as far as you want. History is to help you make sense of things. You know, to be a good citizen of your country, you ought to know some of the history of it. Um, to be a good uh, citizen of the church, you ought to know a little bit of its history. So there, there's virtues simply in doing this well. It forms us as a person. The other kind of the next benefit I like to highlight is what I would call personal density. And I, I borrow this from Alan Jacobs, who's a, a history professor who's taught at Wheaton and then I think at Baylor right now. And um, he wrote a book, um, I think it came out last year, called Breaking Bread with the Dead, one of my favorite kind of short books on history. Hmm. And he is really decrying that tyranny of the present that we talked about. And he calls for us to broaden our he calls it temporal bandwidth hmm. because in our day and age, it's especially weak with social media and whatever. And um, we have this inability to see the moment that we live in right now as in relation to the larger flow of history. And that presentism is destroying us, he would say. And, and he gives this illustration. He says, so, you know, think about this. Can you remember the, the second to last thing that social media told you to be upset about? And uh, probably not, right? And so his his re- his solution is to talk about density, personal density. You know, his his argument is to say, the more you add to your awareness of history, the more you increase it. And in effect, you'll you'll broaden your awareness of 
things before you. You'll understand your your moment now better in relation to the past and the future, and you'll be less blown by what's going on around you. And he says you can do this in a lot of ways. Read old books. He says look at old art. He says you won't be blown by the mildest breeze from your news feed. Mm. Allow those larger truths and stories to keep us grounded. We get wisdom in that sense. So personal density is a huge benefit. The the next kind of big benefit I like to hit is I would call apprenticeship. So this comes from another historian, Robert Wilkin, who talks about just learning in general is hard. And and he says this, uh, one of my favorite quotes, without tradition, learning is arduous at best and impossible at worst. In most things in life, learning to speak, making cabinets, playing the violin, the only way to learn is by imitation by letting someone else guide our movements until we learn to do the things on our own. And so as Christians, we need some of that apprenticeship. Um, We need to be apprenticed to those for us. You know, if if I go use a table saw and I'm holding the wood wrong, I'm at risk of hurting myself in serious Mm -hmm. ways. And being apprenticed would have helped me. Likewise, in, in church history, it helps. It helps us be grounded and not make mistakes and to have a better start into our life that is limited and short, however God gives it to us. So apprenticeship, I like this kind of metaphor to to grab onto. Yeah, that's helpful. And maybe uh, another one is just the communion of saints. There is such a thing as a universal church. The Holy Spirit that indwells me and indwells you also indwelt John Calvin and and William Tyndale and Augustine. Um, their spiritual benefit of seeing how God has worked in history, uh, whether that's the martyr stories that show we can end our life well, even under the worst circumstances, or think of missionary stories, the David Brainers, Jim Elliott, um, uh, many others we can point to. It inspires us to see how God has worked and to see the faithfulness of Christians, and it inspires us to to do our part and to see that God will be with us. There's a purpose to what God is doing in history. So there's a lot of benefits. And so I think those benefits are not just for buffs, as you, as you mentioned. It's not just for those who find it interesting. It's something that is unavoidable, as I've said, but also it's it's good for you and it's it's a blessing that you wouldn't want to miss and you wouldn't want others to miss. Um, especially if we're all part of this communion of saints. And we have that, in a sense, union through Christ uh, and through the Spirit with one another. Um, I mean, it, it is what we're all doing, no matter what we want to admit or not. And this is part of our curriculum because the way that theology has developed and those moments in time that are especially important, we want to be well grounded in. And we want those who graduate from here be able to be able to help others see that. So we will focus on the big contours of church history and the big discussions that we really need to be grounded in, that really all Christians need to be grounded in. And of course, we'll take some detours into particulars that are part of our history. Fundamentalism and evangelicalism becomes a big part of that. We have a, mm-hmm. a, ver- a big focus on Baptist history because we are Baptists, and what right. does that mean? But as I mentioned, it is present throughout all of our curriculum. So there's there, there are many benefits to church history, and 
they ought not to be just for buffs. Um, and we want our graduates to be able to see some of that and then share that with others and show it to others. Mm. Great. How can pastors use church history in their teaching or even teachers in a teaching ministry in a church, a Sunday school teacher, for instance? Do you have maybe some practical ideas for some of those things? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's one of those things that can sometimes be hard to quantify. And that, you know, that has been a typical critique of like kind of a liberal arts education in, in general. Like, okay, so this is developing you into a certain kind of person. And so how do you quantify that? Okay, that's a decent pushback. But yet you quantify it in, in little bits and pieces everywhere, but also in big moments. Um, I, I would encourage pastors to in a general way, just read history and know your history. See how God has worked. Um, learn to do history well. Um, there are good books on how to how to do history or how to understand church history, these sorts of things. It's a good practice, and just knowing general history is good. Probably the biggest way I would encourage pastors and teachers to use history is to be aware of several big things. You know, I've mentioned this a little bit. We ought to know the big picture mm-hmm. of church history. If you're going to say, hey, you have the patristics, then the medievals, then the Reformation, and then post-Reformation, Enlightenment, and so on, we ought to know some of that, those big contours, but also the big moments. Why is it we always refer back to the Trinity? Um, mm-hmm. What were some of those Trinitarian debates, and why do they matter yeah. Why did we solidify who Christ is at Chalcedon? That's, I think, essential church history. So being grounded in that general awareness of all that has gone on is important. So be aware of that. And I think that will bleed through in a lot of things. When you preach through uh, or teach through different books of the Bible, if, if you teach through John, the Gospel of John, you get to the first chapter and there's Christology in your face. You get to chapter eight, it's in your mm. face. You, how do you relate the human and divine natures of Christ? That's grounded in church history. And so to, to exposit and exegete well, it is good to have these things in the back of your mind helping you in a way that perhaps is hard to quantify, but it's, it's important. I think also... Um, knowing your tradition that, that you're dwelling in, you know, we're, we're in a Baptist seminary, knowing the Baptist tradition is important and its place in that bigger picture is important. Um, if you're going to have some interactions with others who are in a slightly different tradition, it helps to know something of that just to make sense of people and yourself. It, it will help you in a practical way just to understand where people are coming from why they might do something. And so knowing your own tradition, being aware of others, maybe in a more direct way, though, how do you use it? Use it in preparation, sermon preparation, mm-hmm. uh, lesson preparation. Go see what the older saints have said. You know, Read an older book, an older commentary. There's a lot of easy ways to access those today. Yeah, um, I would use that. I would encourage that. Um, I mentioned I, I spoke recently and used Richard Sibbs' Bruised Reed um, as a way to understand how 
Christ cares about us and does not leave us on our own without help in the difficult struggles of Christian sanctification. Sibs is amazing on that, and he lifts us up. And to have that benefit is helpful. To see what C.S. Lewis might have to say about living through wartime is helpful, or Augustine on just a spiritual walk. There's a lot of ways you can use different people from the past on, on different issues. And if you know your general history well, you can stop and pause and say, who can I remember who spoke about this? Or you know, can I review some notes somewhere that I have that speak to this issue? Um, and I think that's helpful. So that general awareness. And I will say to pastors in particular, and Christians, lay people as well, but read biographies of Christians. It will lift your soul to see that God cared for them and helped them and was there for them. I, you know, there, there's a lot of biographies we could recommend, but go and see what God has done in people's lives. At our church here, the church I attend, Fourth Baptist, a couple times a year we have new members come in, and one thing you do is you share your gospel testimony of how you came to Christ. And I tell you, there's, there's hardly anything that is more uplifting than to hear how Christ worked to save someone. And those stories, that's part of church history, those stories are uplifting. And we all ought to be able to show how God is working and um, be encouraged in our soul. So to, to limit that to only the present and not want to look to some of the past, we're, we're shortchanging ourselves. There's, there's a lot of benefit there. Um, so there's a lot of ways pastors can help, you know, besides doing the, the deep historical theology and, and understanding the development of doctrine. You know, that's important too, but there's some other just practical ways that just work out everywhere that pastors can use. Mm. Yeah, and, and some things come to my mind of things that I try to do when I was pastoring, and it starts with you, you got to be able to be in these guys, whether it's Augustine or Spurgeon or, you know, whoever in between, you got to be, have access to their works and, you know, read them and, and crack them open in your, in your Sunday (laughs) prep, you know, see what, uh, Calvin's Institutes has to say about this passage or, or whatever, but to take it a step further, maybe you could find a, a quote that from them that you could include in a sermon and if you use PowerPoint, you know, put it up on a slide just to kind of point people back. Exactly. Uh, try to do those sort of things, or use use these men as your sermon illustrations from time to time. Uh, some of them have uh, really incredible testimonies how God has used them, and uh, include that. Uh, one thing that I've heard of, I've never done, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. How about preaching a sermon? You know, maybe if you have like a Sunday night or a Wednesday, uh, preaching a sermon from history. What do you think about that? Oh, that's interesting. So preaching what someone else has preached. Um the first thing that came to my mind when you just said that was uh, th- there's a story of Spurgeon where um, he once went and uh, listened to another man preach, and after a short while he realized he was reading one of his own, you know, this man was reading one of Spurgeon's own sermons, <laughs> and he went up after him after, and he said, I really appreciated it, and um, the, the the preacher said, well, it was your sermon. He said, oh, yes, I know, but it still served me well to hear that. <laughs> Uh, and, and in a sense, there's some real benefit to uh, 
hearing those again. And, and I'm not totally sold. We ought to re-preach, but one, you, you know, it does bring up one good thing for pastors is to read old sermons. Mm. Reading Spurgeon is, I think, a good practice. Uh, there's a lot of good sermons by Jonathan Edwards that are available yeah. these days. There's even a, a collected volume of the, the sermons of Jonathan Edwards. And if you go read his sermon on heaven is a world of love or just uh, it, he wasn't all fire and brimstone, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God, but there's a lot of grace there and a lot of sweetness to the Christian life. And I don't know if I would re-preach their sermons some of them could be a couple hours long. You know, that's one thing. Um, and some of them, all you have are just the notes of it, you know, the outlines. But it's it's a huge resource as well. So, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. But if you do re-preach a sermon, make sure you give credit so you don't have the Absolutely. Spurgeon's <laughs> issue. <laughs> Absolutely. So where can the average church member start if they want to learn more about church history Maybe somebody who didn't go to Bible college and seminary and had a church history class. So they're just kind of starting out, but they say, oh, th- this is good. I need to learn a little bit more. Can you recommend some resources? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I'd, I would kind of bring up that same issue we've talked about where uh, you ought to have an understanding of the big contours, the big picture um, you know, the big broad scope of how church history has developed, those big moments, uh, Trinitarian debates, Reformation debates, so on. Understanding that uh, is helpful. There, there are a couple of sources I point to for a beginner to start. Perhaps the, and nothing is perfect when it comes to church history because there's just too much there. And it's no matter what book you read, no matter how many volumes are in it, you're going to leave something out. But I would encourage, there's, there's one by Bruce Shelley, and uh, who taught a long time at Denver Seminary. Um, I don't believe he's alive. And I th- it's called Church History in Plain Language. I think it's maybe in a fifth edition now. But as a, as a first, if you've never read church history, that's, that's a good place to start. It'll give you some of those broad contours. It purposefully moves kind of quick to help you get through quick. That's helpful. There's some others. Mark Knoll has one called The Turning Points in Church History. I, I believe that's what it's called. And it kind of hits those big moments. And I think that's a helpful one. A, a two-volume work that's used by a lot of people is by Justo Gonzalez called The Story of Christianity. And that, if you want a little longer one, that's helpful. So those are good places to start. If you want to dive deep, like the standard textbook that we might use like here is the two volumes of Zondervan that are just called Church History and Church History, kind of Volume 1, Volume 2. The first volume's by Everett Ferguson. The second one is by Frank James and John Woodbridge. And those are those will give you a deeper dive, um, but those are just a few sources then. There, there's a lot of pretty decent church history books out there, though. Mm, great. And I'm sure you could get into different eras or different timetables and right. there's you know multi-volume works written on each of those so there's there's a lot out there yeah and and i think that's where like those zondervan books at the end of each chapter will even give you a a place to get into it and if i were going to say like a, a baptist history uh there's a, a a newer volume out that actually has three authors michael haken uh tony shoot and nathan finn it's called the baptist story and in a one volume, 
a couple hundred page book. It's as good as you can get in that kind of condensed version. And they give you in Baptist history, some ways to dive deeper into it. So that's uh, a helpful thing too. Okay. Well, great. That was uh, a good discussion. Uh, thanks for sharing. One question I'd like to, uh, to close our podcast with is just to ask, are there any works of God that you've experienced in your life or your family's life or the life of someone that you know that you just want to give praise for today? Yeah, uh, I appreciate you asking that. And I, I think what I would point to, a, a, as you brought this up, I, just a lot of thankfulness um, for how God has used my wife in my life, which I'm not saying that to get brownie points or anything like that, but I'm, I'm saying that because I I guess what I've noticed lately is my wife and I have regular times to talk and just work through the day and, and the issues and, and life in general and our, our children and so on. And just very thankful for how God has given her to me and we can encourage one another. There were some times in kind of the recent past where we have been very busy and she has simply called or texted and said, Hey, I've just been praying for you all day. And to see that, I think that's God showing me um, his good blessing in my wife. Uh, that's God teaching me the, the power of prayer because I could tell that the spirit was present and working. And I, I appreciate those sorts of things. So, you know, sometimes I overlook the, the everyday sort of blessings that God gives, but those have been very apparent to me lately, for sure. Mm. Thank you for sharing. And uh, thanks for the discussion today. Thank you for being on our podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. We need to minister to the needs that arise that we could not have anticipated. So the grammar kind of controls or dictates what comes out in your sermonic or homiletical outline. I place high value on the use of the original languages in sermon preparation. What stands out to me is that you're, you're not just doing uh, simple word studies. I'm going to start uh, back truly at step one. I see that, well, there wasn't much value in what I was doing. Many preachers do, do not do that. They should. It'll be helpful <laughs> to them. Then I create a syntactical diagram. I think that's maybe a misconception that people have. I don't want to make a very minor prepositional phrase <laughs> the center of my message. Mm -hmm. And a, a highlighting system for verbs and participles and infinitives. In translating, it's not so simple as giving a basic equivalent of the original word. I thought maybe it had some benefit that wasn't there. I don't begin with commentaries. Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders 
for Christ-exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Find out more at our website, centralseminary.edu.